This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz recording here on a Friday morning in Happy Valley. We got Landon Tangwall coming up on this episode. He's been a frequent flyer on this podcast and got him one more time before he enrolled with those seven freshmen last weekend. He is the top-rated member of Penn State's 2021 recruiting class. He's a guy uh, that has high expectations for himself heading to campus, and it was a bit of a surprise that he was able to get to campus early considering his situation down in Maryland. He'll explain why it worked out and what he intends to do as a Nittany Lions. It's been a long journey for Landon. I remember him turning heads at that 2017 Big Man Challenge camp. That was before his freshman year of high school. Within that first year of high school, bunch of Power 5 offers, including Penn State. Uh, so we'll talk to Landon about a long recruiting process and, and what he is looking forward to most about his college career. If you missed it last week, we had a couple of those new freshmen on the show as well. Christian Veyu, the quarterback, and then fellow offensive lineman Nate Bruce. So I encourage you to check those out. Um, Sean, again, Landon has given us the time quite a bit over the course of his career. We look forward to sharing that conversation, but we're going to start it with an addition of a transfer class that we don't think is quite complete yet. James Franklin's words earlier this week indicate that they are still going to be aggressive in assessing the transfer market, expecting some more movement as the spring progresses. But a six-player class, four scholarship guys, three of them have starting experience at the Power 5 level, and a couple compelling walk-ons, which we'll get to in just a bit. Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, it's a group that we're not used to seeing here at Penn State because, you know, they just haven't gone with scholarship transfers very often. And, you know, they've, they, when the portal became a thing, they sort of dipped their toe in it and then, you know, realized this is the way that college football has gone. And, and for landing four of these guys, uh, you know, essentially, you know, it's, it's tough to follow portal recruiting because sometimes you're in on guys. Sometimes you're just kind of, uh, you know, lukewarm on guys. And other times you're just kind of, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, it, it's a whole different, sort of thing than high school football recruiting because high school football recruiting, you, you have a pretty good idea of where these guys stand and where you stand with them, where they stand with you with, you know, recruiting these college kids. Let's be honest. They've been in school for a while, a little bit sharper. And some of them have been through the process before. Some of them want to go through the process again. Some of them just don't really want anything to do with the process because they, they did it once. And that was, you know, that once was enough. Now you go back into this one and, you know, you've got coaches who are, you know, following guys on Twitter and that's not necessarily a, a a sign of interest, but some players take it as is. Some players wait for the coach to actually reach out. So it's a fascinating sort of uh, different shades of recruitment, and and that's been that's been cool to figure out and cool to try to you know maneuver around as reporters to to figure out who's actually involved. And and, and the other funny thing here is I got a question in my chat this morning. Oh, it doesn't seem like Penn State's looking at at linebackers and you know for instance linebackers in this in this portal. Well, they are. I mean that's the thing. You see what uh, and I mentioned Dan Kabbalah a couple times. 
sort of gone from director of high school relations to the portal guy who's checking out these guys, seeing who's all in there. And the fact of the matter remains that a lot of these guys are leaving because they couldn't cut it at their current institution, prior institution, what have you. And, you know, a lot of these guys in the portal aren't going to, aren't going to pan out. So you got to find the ones that can actually pan out, find the ones that can help your roster. I think they've done a really good job so far of bringing guys that, excuse me, in guys that will actually play. And that's a, that's a big difference compared to a lot of the names out there, out there in the portal at whatever position aren't going to actually play, especially at a level like Penn State. Something we've discussed before, Sean, the trajectory that you may have noted from a prospect when they were 17, 18 years old on signing day coming out of high school is very rarely sustained when they are 21 years old jumping into the transfer portal. There may have been an injury that occurred at the at their college. There may have just been some shortcomings that weren't clear or glaring when they were high school prospects that have kind of popped up once they got into the field or maybe just in practice sessions at the Power 5 level. So I know a lot of people want to go back and look at the 24-7 prospect profiles and say, go get this guy, look at the stars, look at the rating coming out of high school. We all change after high school, right? That includes these guys, these recruits. Um, they don't always maintain that trajectory that you hope they would. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Dan Kavala. I know we've got some some detectives on our message board at lines247.com that follow those Twitter follows very closely, whether it's Kabbala, and of course, if Franklin is following a player. And it's something that's always been a, been pretty trackable with recruiting, if, if you kind of just go and it's public information, essentially. Um, but now that you see in the transfer portal, it does make it you know increasingly interesting to see kind of just where attention is being shifted here and there. One thing that, that is very much different, Sean, is you're not getting those uh, blessed and honored to be offered by Penn State as a transfer. You don't get those kind of tweets, so you don't have a big offer list being compiled for some of these transfers. It can be hard to get a read on the, the genuine interest that's out there. And case in point here, by the way, as, as it's been confirmed since our last episode, Micah Bowens, who you know looked like he was probably going to maintain a role as, as a number four quarterback for Penn State in 2021, He's going to be on scholarship at Oklahoma. That was a surprise to, to, to me personally. I think a lot of people were, were, were a bit surprised by that. But that is the direction that the Sooners are going to go. They lost a couple transfers on, on the way out. But I think that tells you that uh, it's difficult sometimes to gauge the value when a player hits the transfer portal. It's often going to be ter- determined differently uh, from the perspective of a program-by-program program assessment. And you're not going to have that offer sheet to look at and say, okay, this makes sense or, wow, this is a surprise. Well, especially a quarterback. I mean, you, you, everybody that's listening to this podcast, I assume watched Penn State's quarterback play this year and was not impressed. And uh, there wasn't much to take away from it, but you, you look at the portal and what's out there is, is nothing. I mean, you're not, you're not looking at guys that can come in and take that starting job that are, you know, definitively better than Sean Clifford or even Will Levis. And that's, uh, that's been something that's been very interesting to me because if one of those guys hit the portal, I think there would be a market for them just based on what they've been able to do, uh, based on the experience that they've been able to gain. Um, obviously Clifford's been a two year starter. Levis has started a couple of games and has some physical talent as, as shown by that video that we highlighted last week where he's just ripping the ball around. So, um, and quarterback is such an interesting position. You mentioned Bowens. I mean, I, I'm not 
trying to dump on the kid, but like since we saw him at camp when he was committed, we've really downplayed Micah Bowens as a quarterback because we didn't really see anything there that would would lend us to believe that he was going to be able to play at Penn State, let alone Oklahoma, who is you know obviously up there at the top of the list in terms of producing quarterbacks. Now Oklahoma's in a I guess we'll call it a scholarship bind because a bunch of their quarterbacks have transferred out. Spencer Rattler is obviously coming back next year, and you're bringing in Caleb Williams, the top quarterback in the country in this class. So you've only got two scholarship guys. So that's a situation where you know you're you're kind of walking on eggshells there from a scholarship perspective. So it makes sense to take a chance on somebody, I guess. But that that obviously that was a surprise to me. But yeah, it's just it's so funny to look at this this whole portal and say, okay, we, we, you know, we need to go out there and there's a hole at safety. Let's find a safety and plug them in there. It's, and it's not that simple. And it's also the market out there is, is not strong. So you got to be patient. You got to take your shots when you get them. And another interesting thing is you've got guys that are um, sort of waiting on the green light. A lot of schools, you know, that you've got, uh, you know, maybe Phil Troutwine's talking to an offensive lineman saying, Hey, we got to figure out if we find space for you. And then maybe there's a, uh, a 12 hour or 24 hour window says, okay, uh, if you want to come, now's your time. You got to do it. You got to do it now. And that's kind of the, the reality of portal recruiting. And it's, it's really an interesting thing because he could be having that conversation with seven or eight other, other position coaches or something like that. So it's, it's all fascinating to me. And it's funny. You mentioned the, uh, the blessed and honored type thing, uh, to see that, uh, not taking place for some guys and then to shift gears to a guy or to guys like Jason Brown and EJ Jenkins, guys down right down the road at St. Francis who are getting opportunities now. South Carolina's in on both of them. They were high school teammates of Yeter Gross Matos. I'm not sure how closely some of our listeners have followed this stuff, but uh, Jason Brown was an all conference quarterback at St. Francis. EJ Jenkins had 13 touchdowns last year as a six foot seven inch wide receiver. So there's going to be some sort of intrigue and some sort of market for them. And now they're going out because they didn't go through the process where they, you know, Yeter got all the offers. Those guys didn't get the offers. Now all of a sudden they're blessed and honored and, and they've got all these uh, scholarship offers. So that's that's been really cool to see for kids like that that you've known for a really, really long time. And, you know, it, it, it's it's been really fun to watch this whole process. It's not the most cut and dry process. It's not always going to be, hey, uh, you know, Penn State's clearly looking at this kid or Penn State's going to clearly look at this kid. It could be one of these things where, uh, for instance, uh, with, uh, with John Lovett, it was just kind of like, okay, you found out a couple days before that Penn State all of a sudden has an opening. They, they want to, you know, fill it with a guy that's, that's experienced and they've got a prior contact with him. And that thing took off in the matter of 36 hours. I remember, you know, reaching out to, uh, to one of his coaches on a Friday. And then I think, uh, Sunday or something was, uh, or Monday, um, was the day that he committed. And, and that, that's how quickly things work in the portal. Love it. One of those six early enrollees who did get to campus this week. And why don't we start with him? Because he was the first guy to come on board. And I think, uh, if we had some kind of, uh, betting odds placed on the position that would be impacted by an incoming transfer first, running back would not have been near the top of that list, Sean. But, uh, we, we, we kind of went over him in detail earlier. Um, I think it was back in late December, early January uh, with 24 seven sports Baylor insider. I mean, there's a lot to like about this guy. He was considered a locker room leader really from year one with the Baylor Bears, led the team in rushing three consecutive years. They weren't a, a monster run team. There weren't a ton of carries, uh, but nonetheless, he was the, the leader. He was called the, you know, the best pure running back by that Baylor insider, uh, Tim Watkins, um, over the course of that Big 12 title run back in 2019, which ultimately led 
to Baylor head coach Matt Rule getting an opportunity to become the head coach with the Carolina Panthers. That coaching change shifts the dynamics uh, a bit for Lovett as a senior, um, and he's going to get a second senior season. So he comes to campus after playing Power 5 football for a program that just a couple years ago was in the thick of the college football playoff conversation. 1,800 rushing yards, 17 touchdowns during his time at Baylor, as I said, recognized as a program leader along the way. and He joins this Penn State running back group, and by the way, he was a guy who was on their radar in 2017 coming out of Cherokee High School in Marlton, New Jersey. They end up waiting a while, getting Journey Brown in that class to finish things off in 2017 cycle, but he joins a class as a fifth-year senior, Sean, where or a group, I should say, where no one else in that position room carries NCAA eligibility status beyond sophomore year in 2021. You got sophomores Noah Kane and Devin Ford, freshman Kazai Holmes and Kevon Lee, and then you've got this guy who's played a ton of Power Five football and comes in at you know 22, 23 years old and wants to make his mark and, and move on to the NFL. So from that aspect, you've got a guy that's you know near the end of his career. Obviously, wants to come in, get noticed, and get off to the NFL, which you know seems like a pretty good plan for both sides, especially given what Penn State went through at running back this year. When you you really don't know what you got until it's gone, you know, and you're playing all of a sudden trotting true freshmen out there who may or may not be ready. Now you've got a guy like Lovett that can come in and and make an impact, but you're also not scaring off any 2022 running backs. Where as you know that that would be a situation where where you've got uh, maybe you probably take two, I would assume, and and go from there. And it's, uh, there's a bunch of really good ones on the board. Sort of hit refresh on that thing uh, after the 2021 cycles, and 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 you're not blowing up eligibility. You're not blowing up your scholarship roster from top to bottom. And, you know, you've got a guy in there that um, unfortunately it's going to be read this way or said this way, but replacing Journey Brown from the from an eligibility standpoint. And uh, obviously he's not going to replace, you know, the player that Journey was, but at the same time, you're not looking for a guy that's coming in and, and being a full-fledged starter, a guy that's going to get 60, 70% of your carries. You're looking for a guy that can, you know, share that load. And that's really what you've committed to over the last couple of years is no matter who, who's been the offensive coordinator, is getting a bunch of guys carries and going with it and trying to keep those guys fresh. So I think he's a good uh, addition to this thing. Uh, I'm not sure where things stand from the Mike Yersich angle of how does this change his fit and at Penn State? How does this change his style of play and his style of running back? And you know, does does he work in a little bit more as a receiver out of the backfield, et cetera, et cetera? That's stuff to talk about in the next nine months. But I mean, I think he, he was a fit in the old offense, and I think he's talented enough to, to fit in pretty much any offense that you throw him into. That pie chart of the distribution of touches among this running back group is going to be pretty fascinating to watch. We know Jaywan Sider is ultimately the, the guy who's going to have uh, the, the, the highest amount of say and who's actually getting on the football field out of that running back room. Let's not forget that uh, Noah Kane uh, is, is in the process of rehabilitating. We're not sure exactly where he is in that process, but a lot of high hopes for him going into last year. And then you've got those two freshmen. Now they have that taste in their mouth of, of getting to play extensively at the end of the 2020 season with Kazai Holmes and, and primarily Kevon Lee, who ended up leading this team in rushing. And Devin Ford, what do you make of him? We didn't see much of him late in the year. He was your starter for a lot of the way. Um, you know, I don't think he did anything to really flash to, to tell you that that he is you know the answer as your RB one. I said this before, Sean. I anticipate seeing uh, at least a couple, if not a few, of those or designations whenever we get our next look at an official Penn State depth chart at running back. And I think some of this will hinge on where Noah Kane is in his recovery. But an experienced addition there, and also an experienced addition at cornerback, which. 
again, not a really a spot that we circled coming out of the season that said you're going to hit this hard in the transfer portal. Safety has been something we've discussed for a while, but all of a sudden you've got five cornerbacks out of the 2019 recruiting class because John Dixon comes to town out of South Carolina. Uh, we, we, we talked about this quite a bit when he first jumped on board in late December. Eight starts this past season with the Gamecocks. Uh, they had a couple of their top cornerbacks opt out and, and prepare for the NFL draft, and that benefited Dixon from the standpoint of playing time. He did you know, burn a red shirt as a freshman, so he was a sophomore and, and has two years of, of considerable SEC experience, Sean. Now he comes into a cornerback room. Um, I'm sure he is anticipating to, to do everything he can to maintain a role as a starter at the Power 5 level, but... Now, that's a bit of a buzzsaw right now, cornerback, in terms of competition. You've got Joey Porter Jr. seemingly locking in as one starting cornerback. Uh, you've got Marquise Wilson, Daquan Hardy, Keaton Ellis, all played extensively in their second year of college football with Ellis and and um, Wilson both starting games along the way. And then the, the, you know, the big storyline hovering over this is Tariq Castro-Field, who we didn't see after week three last year, but a guy that Terry Smith was extremely high on in terms of what he may be able to show NFL scouts. And a guy who's played, at this point, 40 college football games and uh, is essentially entering his third offseason as a projected starter, although I think he's going to have to go out there and battle for it and earn that starting role because a guy like Dixon comes in and further complicates the situation. Yeah, I think it's twofold there because you've got uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, who on one hand has battled injuries the last two years, and on the other hand is a pretty talented kid. So, I mean, you would think going into the spring that, that Castro-Fields and Joey Porter Jr. were the guys that had the leg up here, but Marquise Wilson has started before, Keaton Ellis has started before, John Dixon, albeit at a different school, has started before. So, that's a pretty good logjam to have there. So, we're going to see what happens when you move, you know, if you make a move, put one of those guys over at safety. Obviously, cornerback and safety kind of uh, look very different <laughs> when you talk about depth, talent, experience, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's been an interesting dynamic to see whether or not they, make, they can make that change. Now, they tried to do it last year with Trent Gordon. Um, unfortunately, he got screwed out of an offseason uh, you know, as, as that goes. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's not a quick fix, but you you like where you're at corner. You you're not crazy about where you're at at safety, and you got to figure out where John Dixon comes into play. I think Dixon can also play inside there, um, in that slot uh, slot corner nickel role, and that's something that you know has a lot of value when you add that. You you, you talk about competing with Daquan Hardy or maybe competing with Marquise Wilson there, and so you've got you've got options. Which that's that I think that's the thing that they hammered home. Back on signing day is, is it may not be the position that you think it's going to, you know, come at and running back and, and cornerback are obviously those two that are very high on the list of where you've got talent, where you've got a lot of guys that have played. Um, but it's going to spur a competition. It's going to be able to move on and, and, and make your entire roster better. And when you've got an opportunity to bring those guys in and, and I'm not sure that Dixon's going to be a starter. He's probably the guy that you look at among these four and say, okay, he's probably a rotational piece to start. And then you play the hot hand along with Lovett and, and figure out where these guys go from here. So I just think it's a, a very interesting dynamic because you're bringing guys in on different levels and you, obviously your position groups have different levels as well. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. 
And I know by by the time December rolled around in 2020 that Brent Pride, defensive coordinator, Terry Smith, cornerbacks coach, were impressed by what they were seeing out of Daquan Hardy uh, in that nickel package, in that star position role, which early in the season uh, Lamont Wade struggled in. We saw that shift uh, toward the toward the redshirt freshman. And uh, the final edition of that 2019 class, Hardy has made a name for himself as well. Uh, so a lot to like about the cornerback room. Um, defensive end is a spot where there are far fewer names of experience to go through through it's it's been in the in the spotlight for us quite a bit here on the podcast when assessing things it's also a spot that James Franklin said they are still looking at pretty hard uh, in the transfer portal and also among high school standouts as we get closer to the February 3rd signing day you do have one guy on board here with experience Arnold Ebekede um, out of Temple Sean he was an all AAC player last year second team in that conference 42 tackles eight and a half of those for loss and four sacks in six games. You lose Shaka Tony and Jason Oway from the starting lineup. You lose Shane Simmons from your two deep. Um, and you insert this six foot four, 240 pounder who spent uh, a few years with Temple, 25 games played, as I said, all conference last year. And he comes in with junior eligibility status. I'm sure in his mind, he wants to come in, make an impression, make a leap. But you do have two years of eligibility to work here with a guy that sure looks like he will be a starter for Penn State if things go according to plan. I mean, I I think of those four, he's probably the guy that you uh, write in solid pencil or potentially pen for starting just based on what Penn State has at defensive end. And that's a scary thin position, especially with, you know, losing the two guys this year. Uh, so I, I, I don't see any way, you know, Smith Filbert and Nick Tarbert and the guys backing him up. Uh, you know, you, you really don't expect much from Bryce Mostel at this point yet in his career. And that's why I don't think they're done at defensive end. I just don't think they've found another guy that, that would fit in there. Uh, you've got your starter. So maybe you move on to, I wouldn't call him a depth guy, but a guy that can eventually be a starter. Maybe a guy that has three or four years left and has the opportunity to continue to grow and, you know, maybe transfers for a different reason than, you know, exposure or something like that. So I think that's definitely something to, to watch for down the line. It doesn't have to happen right now. And a guy like that may find himself at the end of the spring semester, you know, wants to, to move on or after spring ball at his uh, previous institution or something like that. So I don't think, you know, you have to you know rush out and try and find a guy like that right now. But if the opportunity presents itself. That's a position they're going to go at very, very hard. Staying on the defensive line, uh, an interior addition in the form of Derek Tangelo, and he's somebody who has been on this podcast. Hopefully you caught the conversation that he had with Sean a few weeks back. A three-star prospect coming out of high school turned into a three-year starter in the ACC with the Duke Blue Devils. 45 games played in that uh, in that conference and 114 tackles along the way, 12 of them for loss, four and a half sacks, five forced fumbles. Last year, productive season for him, a shortened season, 40 tackles, two sacks, three forced fumbles for Duke, uh, considered kind of a stalwart there on the on the defensive line for them. Um, and he comes in as a grad transfer. He's a senior. Um, you're, you're basically swapping out one grad transfer senior and Antonio Shelton for another here. Shelton now with the Florida Gators. P.J. Mustafer back with you. He has played a lot of football at defensive tackle, so... There's a lot of names to know here. Judge Culpepper is no longer one of them, but there's still a lot of names to know. This is another spot where you feel like there's major potential for a plug-and-play starter alongside P.J. Mustafer. And I think there's the makings of a, of a combination there that, that you like how those two could complement each other. 
Yeah, and that's going to be very important because, you know, at times last year it was kind of, I won't call them a fractured unit, but they, I don't think Mustafer and, and Shelton really played off of each other all that well. Tangelo will give you a chance to, uh, you know, to, to let PJ maybe do some more, some of his more natural skills. Um, what's interesting here, I, I think that, you saw so much from Hakeem Beam and so many flashes from Hakeem Beam in this year, and you thought, okay, maybe he's the guy that moves in to Shelton's spot, st- steps up and goes in there. I-, I think Tangelo is probably a better fit for for what you're looking to do, and maybe that you know maybe that opens up Beeman to to be more effective in a in a more limited role. I know that doesn't really make a ton of sense, but sometimes we've seen that guys that play have a lower rep count. Have a bigger impact on the game because of 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 such, and then you all of a sudden move them into a full time role, and they're maybe not the player that that they were doing it. Beeman is a guy that kind of screams that for me, and I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, but I don't know that he's a guy that you want playing sixty defensive snaps. So um, we'll we'll see how that develops. Defensive tackle depth should be okay there. Um, you know, you want some more from Fred Hansard. You want some more from some of those younger guys. Obviously, Judge Culpepper's out of there now. So uh, some of those uh, freshmen that came through might be able to step up. We'll see where it, where it goes from there. Um, but yeah, I think I think Tangelo probably would would slot him just after Ebikete as a guy that could come in and, and start right away. And I think that that's probably the plan um, to it, to at least start spring ball and see where he's at. And that's that's the other thing. You you're, you're kind of taking chances here with these guys, and and obviously all four of them Division one athletes, scholarship guys. But until you get them on campus, till you get them in your weight room, eh, maybe maybe they're not the guy that you thought that you were getting. So we're gonna have to see where these guys are and. A couple of months from now, how they've uh, you know sort of uh, you know meshed in with the, with the entire program and how they've handled the spring and things like that, and that's always an interesting transition because as we know, it doesn't doesn't always work out for everybody, and that's sort of the the uh, the caveat that you carry with the uh, with the portal. It's you know you can get excited about these guys, and obviously all these guys are are Division One guys, but at the same time, I, I don't know that you're just going to necessarily hit you know go four for four on these guys. James Franklin sure would love to get these transfers and his new offensive coordinator onto the practice field in, in March rather than having to wait until August. But we'll see how that plays out. We're still waiting for answers on what spring practice could and, and may be here in 2021. Uh, we shift over to a couple walk-ons who also bring in some college experience, albeit from a different level of college football. And, and we start with the name, the, the best name of the bunch, Sean. Punter Barney Amore uh, spent the last few years at Colgate, which is in the Patriot League. It's an FCS program. Um, a kid who attended Central Bucks East in high school and uh, also actually a native of the Netherlands, but relocated to America, ended up developing into an all-state high school kicker uh, in Pennsylvania and um, became a punter at Colgate. Uh, that, that, that's where he, where he flourished last year, uh, to, or I should say 2019. I don't think there was a 2020 season at that level, but uh, in 2019, 42 yards per punt. That's a program record for Colgate. Um, 11 of those went 50 plus yards, 17 of them downed inside the 20 uh, versus only five resulting in touchbacks. This is a spot at punter where we saw Jordan Stout take over uh, after four year starter Blake Gillikin went to the NFL. Mixed results there. I think it's fair to say for Jordan Stout, really in his second year at Penn State, asked to do a lot. Long range field goals, kickoff specialist, uh, punter. Do you think there's reasonable um, anticipation that that if there's a spring practice and 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 a more can come in and push there that that's a role that that he may be able to to maybe pry away from Stout or that the special teams coordinator Joe Lorig would maybe like to see go away from Stout? I, again, he wasn't a disappointment, but I think across the board last year consistency was lacking in those three different roles that Stout fills. 
Oh, you say he wasn't disappointed. I don't think he lived up to expectations, and I don't really think there's much questioning that. Given the leg that we've seen from kickoffs and field goals, etc., I think he can get better at punter. He should be better at punter um, eventually, and I think Amora can can push him. I mean, I, I have my reservations in, in terms of bringing in a scholarship, excuse me, a, a walk on guy to to push your scholarship guy. Whether that happens or not, I I, I really don't know. Um, I like I said, I, I I have my doubts just based on the years and years of that we've seen this happen, where you've got talented legs that come in as walk-ons and then all of a sudden you know they kind of get passed up and and, and the cream rises to, so to speak a more by the way the backstory is is great. I chatted with him a few weeks ago. Um, born in the Netherlands, his family's from England. He's a Liverpool supporter, by the way. Moved to Rochester, New York, then Doylestown, where he played at Central Bucks West. Um, then his family moved to to Switzerland, and and he's at you know obviously he was at Colgate, and uh, now he's been then he went to Virginia and then New Jersey. He's he's been everywhere, kind of. It's it's a really cool story. Um, so he's got some you know certainly life experience to go along with punting experience. Will he crack that depth chart? I I don't know. You know, you know, I love my specialists, but, uh, that's, uh, that, that's a question that's probably more apt for August or maybe even into September because it's kind of, it's kind of a story like, uh, Dan Pasquarello a couple of years ago from Australia. Now Pasquarello eventually did start at Penn State, but he didn't really have the guys in front of him that, uh, you know, that, that Barney Amore will have. So I, I have my doubts that it's going to break through. We've seen some guys that have transferred in in the past. We've seen some guys that thought that they could maybe make that step, but it's a big step to make. And as a reminder, Penn State uh, later this year will add a scholarship specialist in Sanders Sahadak, considered the number one kicker um, in 24-7 sports rankings. The other walk-on to get to here is that wide receiver, and it's Winston Eubanks, who was tremendously productive, Sean, at Shippensburg. He comes in with senior eligibility. It's a it's an intriguing rise from the Division II level. We saw Weston Carr try to do that. He was a Division II All-American in 2018, came to Penn State in 2019, caught a couple passes in the opener, and that was about all I remember from Weston Carr's time in Happy Valley. He was a scholarship guy. Eubanks is not, but 34 contests in a Shippensburg uniform, 148 catches, Nearly 2,900 yards and 28 touchdowns. He was a two-time team captain there as well. Six foot, 185 pounds. You like the physical build there. Kid out of Philadelphia's LaSalle. Um, was a track standout. Flashed that speed. Part of the fastest 4 by 200 meter relay team in Philadelphia Catholic League history back in his high school. So there's a bit of the bio. He warranted interest from, from other FBS programs looking to make this grad transfer situation. Indiana, Pittsburgh, Toledo, Virginia Tech showed interest in him. Ends up with Penn State. They signed five guys at the spot at that position last year. They've got three four-star prospects coming in at wide receiver later this year. But for now, here in January, where they add 14 total players, He's the one addition to Taylor Stubblefield's wide receiver room. I mean, it's a it's a really intriguing addition. I, I followed Winston for a long time. I actually remember him committing to Shippensburg for some reason. I you know got some connections down there that with it, you know we've I've been following his career for a long long time. Um, very productive at that level. Um, just a you know not a big guy. Uh, he's got some speed, but he's he's a little bit thicker than you would think. Just be, you know you look at the some of the pictures and and videos that they've posted since he's gotten here. He doesn't look like a you know typical <laughs> Division two receiver. And I'm not trying to slight any anybody down at that level. Um, but it's, it, it, he's a little bit thicker guy. Uh, is he an inside outside guy? I think that remains to be seen. You talked about Weston Carr and that's an interesting, uh, not comparison, but an interesting parallel to draw because you, you know, you thought Weston Carr based on the production that he had, which is kind of similar to what, uh, to what Winston Eumagans put up at Shippensburg. But y- y- when you take that next step and it's probably not fair to, to, 
to pigeonhole Division One athletes versus Division Two athletes. Some great, you know, guy, pros have come from the Division Two level, um, but you know that's that's a big jump to make, and you don't know where he's going to be when they start practice if they are able to start practice in March. Well, you know, where does he fit into this whole situation? Can he pick it up quickly enough to to get into there? They're hopeful that he can. I mean, they they wouldn't have added him, you know, and I know this is a really a no risk situation with him as a as a as a walk on guy and not on scholarship, but they wouldn't have added him if they didn't think that. Okay, there's something there, and you can make this uh, make this leap and try and make things happen. We've seen, you know, especially at Chippensburg, um, they've they've had guys that have come into the program and had some success. I I don't know that I'm penciling him in as a as a starter or even a two deep guy, but you know, I think that I'm just. Uh, I'm very intrigued of what he can bring to the table. Just there's a lot of production there. There's there's physical marks that he checks the boxes for. Can he make that next step and fit into a Division One receiving room? That's what he's here to find out. He wants to get out there. He wants to get his name out there. Whether it happens or not, it's tough to say. Man, he doesn't have a ton of time to work with. He's just got that one year left, um, and it's uh, it's a steep hill to climb, especially. Excuse me, when, especially when you were not recruited originally by the staff. You know, they've got their guys. They've got guys that have come in and, and, you know, been productive right off the bat in Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert. So it's going to be a bit of a tall hill to climb for Eubanks. I, I, I hope you can do it. I think, it, I think it's a really cool story. I think it's a really cool thing to follow. And I think it's a really, you know, uh, interesting connection there. So I, I'm, I'm rooting for him definitely. Uh, you, know, you don't say that very often, but I'm rooting for him to, to succeed. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it would be a great, great story for Penn State. Great story for Winston Eubanks. I don't think it's a stretch to say that there are more known commodities in that wide receiver room than there were last offseason. And uh, with that said, though, even with the blend of some of the older guys who remain on campus and some of these younger players who haven't seen much of beyond the practice field to this point, it seems like there are certainly some spots in that too deep that that are very much up for consideration uh, going into potential spring practice. And he'll be a part of that if they're able to get onto the field. Um, so there's six transfers. We mentioned last week the seven early enrollees. You're about to hear from one in Landon Tengwall. One other roster addition, 2020 high school graduate who, who gets to campus now as a walk-on freshman. In-state defensive back Dominic DeLuca. Uh, you're the walk-on guy usually on this podcast. Anything to add on Mr. DeLuca? DeLuca is a heck of an athlete, man. Uh, uh, he's a well-known name up in Northeast PA. Um, you know, he was the Citizens Voice Player of the Year in 2019, uh, led his team to a 3A, class, a 3A state title, uh, and – you know, he tore his ACL as well. So that's uh, kind of the, the, the fallback there. So kind of took a little bit of time off. Uh, you know, this was the plan for a while now um, for him to get in essentially gray shirt. I know it doesn't really matter from a scholarship standpoint, but essentially gray shirt, get him in here. Um, you know, he's, he's a good football player. He's got size. Uh, 6'1", 190 was his listed size. I'm sure he's probably a little bit bigger than that right now. So, um, you know, safety is a spot where you, you're always adding bodies. And, and this is a guy that, you know, I think can play special teams for Penn State. I think come in here and, and I mean, not upset the culture or anything like that or not upset that room, um, but certainly can, you know, can make an impact. He was a really good high school player that, you know, had a, had a lot of interest from schools, um, maybe not the big scholarships or anything like that. But, you know, that's kind of what you're looking for in a walk on. And he stayed committed. And, you know, for for a guy that thought he would be playing last fall at wherever he went, you know, not necessarily Penn State, say he goes to East Stroudsburg or, or something like that, thought he would be playing last fall. For him to make that decision to sit out until January, get that knee right, get everything right, it says something about the kid as well. 
there you go. Uh, and good rundown from you. And Penn State has seen a couple of their walk-on defensive backs enter the, the transfer portal in recent weeks. So those are spots that we don't always focus on, very rarely focus on. But you, you've got to fill those and you've got to maximize everything you've got on the roster. An opportunity to do that with these 14 roster additions and maybe some storylines that we just discussed that you were not aware of that, that gives you a little bit more interest in uh, some of these guys, whether they're walk-ons or scholarship newcomers. We got a big-time scholarship newcomer coming up here next on the podcast. Landon Tangwall breaks down expectations for his Penn State football career, committed way back in March and now on campus as of just a few days ago, the top-rated member of this freshman class. He'll break that all down. Then we're back with a little bit of recruiting news and our five-star mailbag coming your way right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Well, if you've listened to this podcast for quite some time, you've heard the name Landon Tengwall pop up for years now. And if you've listened more recently, you've heard Landon Tengwall himself pop up on the show a couple of times. Let's do it one more time before he enrolls at Penn State, making the move to campus. Landon, long time coming. We uh, we had the story up in early December about early enrollment. It's something that you put on my radar pretty early in the process, but you wanted to make sure things were ready. What are your thoughts as you can hit the road with mom and dad? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really just excitement right now. Uh, you know, I just can't wait to get to campus. Uh, obviously, the first couple of days, you got a ton of stuff to square away, you know, get settled, you know, get IDs, all that good stuff, physicals, all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of excitement, obviously, you know, just getting to see the coaches. I mean, if you really think about it, we haven't seen them since, man, I don't even know. I mean, we're, we're coming on almost a year, honestly. Um you know, just seeing everybody, you know, I just, this place, I love being so much. I think I went up there, someone told me almost like 15 times. So, you know, to not see those people for almost a year, you know, definitely it sucked, but, you know, so I'm just, I'm just so excited to get up there. That's an excellent point. And I think because of that, uh, you haven't met everybody in this class and, and, and you're going to get mm-hmm. a chance to, I mean, Rodney McGraw is a guy who's enrolling early. I'm assuming you've never gone face to face with him at this stage. It's mm-hmm. so different. Can you kind of explain the importance of breaking the ice here? Yeah, yeah, no, it's huge. I mean, obviously, social media played a big impact. You know, we're able to have text message and Snapchat. And so we've actually all grown pretty close, surprisingly, without without almost all of us outside of the Michigan guys. I mean, I think I've only out of the early enrollees, I don't think I've I don't think I've met any of them face to face except Nate. So, uh, you know, obviously, it's a little different. Um but I mean, everybody's got, you know, big personality. Everybody's cool, funny. You know, we all, you know, we all get along, like I said, just from being in the group chat, talking to each other. Um, so we're all jacked. We're all excited to get up there. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's, I guess it would 
the relationships form a little differently for sure. I would say, uh, if you're not, you know, not meeting face to face, but, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to do so much stuff together over, you know, just the next couple months, you know, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get really close really fast. Speaking of the unprecedented nature of your enrollment and the, and the situation that it comes under, is there a path of like quarantine that needs to take place for you before you get to campus, after you get to campus? How is that laid out for you by the staff at this stage? Um, yeah, so we're in a quarantine right now. Um, you know, normal quarantine, like only leave if you, if you must, must leave. So we're, we're quarantining right now. You know, we had to send in a, a test, uh, which mine already came back negative. So we're all good on that front. And then um, I'm not exactly sure on how many days. I know we have a quarantine when we get there. I'm not sure if it's four, seven, you know, what, what it is exactly. Um, so that is still to be seen. But, um, you know, I'm sure the COVID tests are coming, which I've only taken, you know, it's like twice now. So it should be, it should be a lot different for me, you know, getting one, you know, almost every day. Um, but no, we, I'm not exactly sure on how long, because I know it's, I know the CDC and, and everybody has changed the, uh, you know, it was 14 and then it was 10 and then it was seven. And then, you know, so I'm not exactly sure how long it'll be, but uh, we, we definitely have some type of, we're expected to be quarantining right now. And then we'll have some type of quarantine once we get there. I guess that means a lot of time spent with your roommate, Nate Bruce, who we mm-hmm. had on the, on the podcast earlier. He, he said, Landon reached out and he was like, are you a fan guy? Cause we're going to need some fans. That's two big bodies in a small area. Yeah. Um, I know you just kind of figured out who your roommates are going to be. Can you give us some feedback on what you're looking forward to about living with Nate and, and some feedback? Cause I know you're a guy who watches film of, of your future teammates. What do you think about what Nate brings to that offensive line with you? Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. I mean, Nate's, uh, so we've talked a lot of the past couple of days, especially since we found out we're going to be roommates. Uh, Nate's hilarious. He's like so funny. Uh, he just, He's just like, he's definitely like kind of quiet, but like once you get to know him, he's like, he's just one of those guys that are just hilarious. Uh, so yeah, we were talking about fans. I was like, I was praying that uh, he was a fan guy. He was like, come on. He was like, we're both over 300 pounds here. There's, there's no way I'm not a fan guy. So we had a good laugh. And then, uh, but yeah, I was actually just, just before we got on here, I was actually on Snapchat and he posted uh, one of his highlights. And he took a guy like 20 yards downfield and pancaked him. So that's the type of thing I love. I mean, that's my, that's my, that's my style. That's my, you know, playing through the whistle. There's nothing like that. So I love that, that he's similar in the, in uh, in that. So I think, you know, I think we'll definitely uh, relate in our uh, play styles. And then, uh, no, yeah, I'm excited to just get to know him. I'm sure, we both know we. I know we both love food. Um, I, asked, I think he's bringing the LED lights up. You know, the classic college uh, line the line the uh, walls with the LED lights. So um, that should, we should have a good time. It's going to be fun. So uh, that's another obviously guy that, I've, you know, I've met him. I think we met twice in, you know, face-to-face, but we've talked a decent amount over the phone and stuff and, uh, you know, Snapchat, text message, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I'm excited to just get to, get to know him a lot better. You mentioned watching Nate push guys around on the football field this fall. That's something that I know you were very disappointed not to be able to do this mm-hmm. fall to finish off your career with a fall football season. What were you able to accomplish over the course of these past few months without getting those kind of reps? Yeah, I feel like I was really, um, you know, in season, I would say a lot of guys will they'll drop weight a little bit. Um, they won't get to work out as much. Uh, maybe your diet isn't as good just because, especially for me, when I was at good council, you know, I'm driving an hour there. You know, I'm there till eight, you know, eight thirty, eight at night and then another hour home. So I'm not getting home till nine. 
you know, I, I don't think just because it's high school, I don't think uh, my diet, not even what I was eating, but how many, I was probably eating only like three times a day, just because that's what it, that's just what it was. I wasn't really able to eat more. And for how much, how much we were doing, I was where I would go in a kind of early workout in the morning. And then obviously have, we had three hour practices um, at night. So that's, that was almost, I would say that's not ideal for my body. Obviously you kind of, you got to do it, you know, it's the season. You got to, you got to, uh, you got to do what you got to do to play ball. Um, so I would say that almost that, that would give me an advantage um, a little bit. I was able to really take care of my body, um, you know, eat really well. Obviously, you know, I was doing that. I was always working out every single day, but really work out every single day, get good workout in, um, get plenty of sleep. You know, I'm not really having to go anywhere. Um, so I would say there's def- there was definitely some advantages to not having the season. Also, you know, it's another I haven't honestly, I haven't really played football and uh, obviously I've done a ton of training, uh, you know, offense, as far as offensive line, but I haven't, uh, my body's kind of had a year off uh, from taking, you know, some punishment. So I think honestly down the, even down the road, that'll, I think that could help me, you know, a lot. You know, that's huge to have it kind of have a year off where your body isn't getting, you know, hit by other 300 pound men. So, um, so yeah, and there's, I mean, obviously it was sad. Obviously I would, you know, much rather have the senior season, but uh, I think there was definitely some things, um, some pluses, even though, you know, it was a big minus, but definitely some definitely some pluses that uh, came out of this. Your ability to early enroll was very much in question for a long time. In fact, it was very doubtful for a long time because this is a unique situation, not only at your school, Good Counsel, but really within the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference. Can you explain to our listeners why this is a pretty big deal that you're able to do this? Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Uh, I remember, so I was actually at a smaller school in the area called Pilates, and I kind of had it set up. You know, I was planning on graduating early. Um, Pilates, uh, actually, Chase Young went there for two years before he went to DeMatha. Um, so it was a pretty good school, but so I ended up transferring out. You know, I wanted better competition, so I had uh, headed to good counsel. And it wasn't really something I thought about because I was just going into my sophomore year, so I didn't really even think to ask about it until I said something to one of the seniors, and they said, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, you're not going to be able to graduate early. Like, we've never had that before. So I was kind of, you know, I kind of, you know, it was, it, it was what it was. Um, but I realized I was, kinda, I was kind of sad about it. I feel like, you know, it's huge. It's a big head start. Um, so, you know, Corona came around, COVID-19 came, and everything's different. You know, so many things have changed for people this year. And so obviously it was a, a bit of a blessing, uh, you know, in a hard time, blessing in disguise with uh with covid that it basically allowed me to you know through a bunch of different ways you know not just not being in school being able to complete um an extra english class because it was required uh to graduate for penn state um and yeah so it kind of allowed the school to allow me to uh graduate early which you know is huge i mean there's been guys there's been stefan diggs chase young so many other big names from the camera you know earlier on the cameron wake i mean huge names have came out of the WCAC. So for me to be the first one to graduate early is, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just excited though. That's big time. And and when we talked about this, I don't know, about six, seven weeks ago, and, and this was going to happen for you, you said, Hey, I'm coming in with the mentality that, that I'm going to try to start as a freshman. I'm not making any promises. It's going to happen. Where is your mindset on that now as, as this is, you know, you're crossing that threshold and, and you're about to get into it with that group and, and working under the direction of Phil Troutwine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing's changed. I'm still coming in, uh, you know, expecting to start. 
Um, and I don't mean that from a, you know, I, I, I deserve it. I don't deserve it. You know, you got to work for it. Uh, but I, I'm expecting myself to work, to work hard enough and do everything I need to do to uh, get a starting job. Um, you know, that's, that's the, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm coming early, you know, get a, get a head start on my education and, uh, jumpstart, you know, get a head start on the, uh, on my career. Um, so yeah, I mean, anything less obviously would be a disappointment to me. You know, I wouldn't get super down if I, you know, if I, if I weren't to start, but I mean, that's, that's my goal coming in. Um, so yeah, anything less would be, would be somewhat of a disappointment to me. When you come in, there's been a lot of conversation. Uh, where's landing going to end up? Is he going to be on the right side or the left side? Is he going to be inside, outside? We've talked about this before. You see a lot of versatility within yourself. That's something that college coaches have addressed with you during the course of your recruitment process. What do you think? I mean, it, do you have a definitive starting landing spot? And and realistically, what are you capable of doing across the offensive front? Yeah, I mean, I think uh... – you know, the couple a couple of guys graduating this year. I mean, there's a there's a couple spots open right now, um, and that's you know, like you said, that's one thing that not even just Coach Trout. You know, just throughout my recruiting process, there was a lot of things that coaches would say to me that they like. You know, um, right now I'm about six six, three fifteen, three twenty, um, and I just think with how I'm built, I can I can really play all five positions um, on the offensive line which is a great quality. I mean, I don't know if anybody's, I don't think anybody's too big on offensive line play, but that's all I, that's all I look at on Twitter and stuff. And there's a Packers uh, offensive lineman that's played all five positions so far this year. And he made the pro bowl. um, And he's just looked at as an all pro. Cause if you're able to do that, you know, I've seen some comments, people saying, you know, people, you know, not a lot of people are familiar with offensive line play. So they think, you know, we're big. You should be able to play any position on the O line. All you're doing is, you know, pushing a guy around, you know, and I don't fault anybody for that. You know, it's the most, I think it's the most misunderstood position in all of football. Um, but I think to be able to play across the whole offensive line is just huge. It's just, you know, I think that can make, you know, that can make you so much more uh, worthy to a coach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what Coach Trout told me. He thinks I could play anywhere. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, God forbid someone got hurt, you know, I could slide in somewhere. If I, you know, even if I didn't start, you know, slide in somewhere you know, anywhere I need to go. Um, so I think that's, I think that's just huge for me. Um, Cause you know, if I'm, you know, six, seven and two ninety and kind of, you know, lengthy, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, you could, you could get a guard, but that's not really ideal. I just think with my body type, I think I could handle, you know, center guard or tackle. Um, so, yeah. You have experience snapping the ball. Um, not, I, I mean, I practice it from time to time. That's not, I mean, I, you know, I think it's something I could do if I needed to. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's somewhere that I'd actually, you know, get put. I don't think that's, uh, but you know, like I said, I want to be, I really want to be able to do anything. Uh, I want to be ready for everything. Um, so I mean, if that's something that I ever really did to, to really lock in and really work on, that's something I, I would hundred percent do. Um, but I, I mean, I would say guard and tackle is probably more. Uh, my spot through our conversations over the years and just from seeing some of the stuff you put on social media very clear that you're a student of the game you respect the craft that takes place on the offensive line as you said it's not just about bench pressing other big dudes down the field what did you see from Penn State over the course of the 2020 season the first underfield trout line game one to game nine where do you think the biggest trends were that that make you feel really good about where this thing is headed yeah, man. Like you said, I think they were just hitting their stride. I think, you know, with COVID, um, Coach Troutby was, you know, first year coach. 
he didn't really get a chance to, I would say, really, really teaching uh, the guys. I think it was more kind of on the fly, you know, him having to just tell them to do something and they, they had to do it. It wasn't, you know, teaching, going through it, you know, actually really learning it just because that's what had to happen. They just we just didn't get a lot of time with COVID. Uh, Coach Charles didn't get a lot of time with the offensive line with COVID. Um, so obviously that I think that kind of hurt first year coaches more than anything, just because, you know, the players aren't really used to that coach yet. Um, but, yeah, I think we started to started to see um, everything that Coach Trotwine was, you know, he's a real technical guy. Um, so I think we started to really see that technique and uh, and the guys really practiced that technique and putting it on the field, you know, as they got more comfortable throughout the season. Um, you know, I just think everything was better, pass blocking, run blocking. Um, you just saw guys moving people. Um, my favorite was uh, the Illinois game when I just saw we ran in, ran in for, you know, one of the many touchdowns, but Juice, uh, Juice Scruggs, I just saw someone fly across the screen and get pancaked uh, on the touchdown. There's nothing better than that. Um, so I think, and then I think the confidence with the technique, then, you know, then guys, I mean, per firsthand, I've experienced that when you, when you don't have a lot of confidence with your technique, um, you're not going to be going hundred miles an hour just because you can't, if you're thinking too much. Um, so I think a lot, I'm, you know, obviously I don't know this, but I'm, I'm assuming that it's kind of what it looked like. What happened is everybody started to get a lot more comfortable. So they're able to get, you know, play a lot faster, play harder and, uh, and really like finish, uh, finish and, you know, pancake guys towards the end of the plays and, and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, obviously I think it's going to continue to get better as we, you know, get more time with coach trout and, uh, this spring, uh, should be really exciting. Staying on this past season, and it's a question I asked to Christian Veyu. It's a question I asked to Nate Bruce this past week as well. How did it all stay together for this recruiting class? An 0-5 start. Obviously, there's a lot of noise on social media in general about what's happening at Penn State. What's going wrong? Is James Franklin okay? All these different things. You didn't lose anyone from the class getting to the early signing period. I know you put a lot of pressure on yourself personally to do your part as a peer recruiter. Why did this class stay together and, and not unravel a bit despite those struggles? Yeah. I mean, that's something that, like I said, that's big uh, with social media nowadays. Obviously, there was a lot of negative coming from it. There's people, you know, trashing us. Of course, we had fans from other schools telling us, you know, we need to decommit. But then, you know, with us, you know, on the positive with social media, we're able to stay together. We're, you know, in our group chats talking. Um, and I think it even brought us closer. You know, when we were when we were on five, I think a lot of guys, you know, it was kind of more of a mindset of, you know, we want to come in and help change this, uh, not we want to ditch this and, you know, forget this. Um, so, I mean, that was the big talk. It was just, you know, we were like, all right, you know, that's fine. Like, we want to come and help change this. Um, so I think that says a lot about our class. Um, you know, guys, you know, obviously we have hard work ethic, integrity, uh, commitment, Um so, yeah, I think that just speaks volume about our class and uh, the impact we're going to make, uh, you know, at Penn State and, you know, even the Penn State, like, culture as a whole. Uh, we just want to continue to make it great. My first camp I covered as a Penn State reporter was in June 2017, and there was, there was this noise, there were whispers uh, about what was going on at the Big Man Challenge, and an eighth grader going into freshman year who was really impressive over there Turned out to be you. A few months later, you became the first Penn State offer on the offensive line for the 2021 cycle. And here we are almost four years later. You're getting ready to come back to campus, and this time you're sticking around. Can you put this journey in perspective for us? Yeah. I can tell you right now, when you just said that, it gave me, it gave me uh, goosebumps throughout my body because, you know, I remember that. It's been, a, it's been a long time coming. 
I'm actually, I got my uh, my Lion trophies right here, the Lion Strong Big Man Challenge. I'm looking at them right now. I got them up on my wall. Uh, got three of them, actually, so, you know, no need to brag. But <laughs> but uh, but no, it's been a long time coming. I mean, I remember meeting Coach Franklin that first day. Um, and, you know, I was just a little, a little eighth grade pup. And, uh, you know, it just kept, I just kept growing the relationships with the coaches um, over the years. And, uh, you know, I think I kind of knew deep down. I would say even in eighth grade, uh, I had an idea. That's that's where I really wanted to go. Um, I would say really once I got that offer, uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, I wasn't a done deal yet because obviously I had a lot to experience. But uh, I, I kind of knew like deep down, like this is I was almost sure that's where I was going to go. Um, it was, uh, you know, like I've, I've said before to people, like I'm big on feel. And just ever since I like, you know, I went to probably I don't even know, probably like 15 campuses. And, you know, I went to like all the SEC schools and none of them had the same like feel to me that I felt at Penn State. Um, so that's how I know it was right. That's how I never, never had any, you know, never second guess myself. Uh, decommitment was never even on my mind, you know, especially this year. And that didn't even cross my mind. You know, I was definitely one of the guys thinking, you know, all right, that's cool. You know, I want to come in and I want to come in and help, you know, change this, Let's get back to, you know, winning. Um so, you know, it's been a, it's been, it's been quite the ride, obviously changed high schools. Um, but, you know, that was honestly, I think that was, that was for college. That was for Penn State. Cause you know, I, I went to a high school with a lot better competition uh, playing, you know, a top 25 schedule in the nation, uh, that type of thing. So, uh, no, it's definitely been a ride. You know, I've, I think I've improved so much over these next, over these past four years. Um, so I'm just looking forward to improving even more over these next four years. Um, so, yeah. Journey, uh, journey starts Sunday, so I can't wait. Well, our audience can't see it, but I think they can probably hear it. You're talking through a really wide smile that entire time. I know you're excited okay. for this moment, uh, and we really appreciate all the conversations over the years. It's a lot of it has been on Zoom lately, but I do hope that we're face to face on a football field, and and everybody's back on a football field very soon. Looking forward to that, Landon. In the meantime, best of luck with this transition to you and your family, and thanks as always for joining us here on the podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Landon. He's a guy we spent plenty of time discussing prior to his commitment and since his commitment. Uh, you heard it here. Uh, he has big plans in place for not just long term, but what he can accomplish in 2021. We know uh, that Phil Troutwine's happy to add him to that mix and, and we'll be continuing to follow his progress. A couple potential paths to the field as we discussed there. Sean, 2023 recruiting class, uh, I apologize to our listeners. It has not been at the forefront for us of late. Uh, or It has been a, a transfer portal. It has been the 2022 class building up. It has been the 2021 class holding on by a thread. But there has not been much focus on that 2023 group. A lot of high school sophomores didn't even play their sophomore year. We're still going off freshman film for some of them. Mega Barnwell is somebody who committed this past offseason. It was a bit of a shocker considering we were in the middle of a pandemic. There were no visits, and he was before his sophomore year of high school, but really highly touted uh, tight end out of Virginia. You thought, okay, well, you know, this makes sense. Tight end spot has been wonderful for Penn State. 
he announces this week, uh, you know, going to step off that commitment, going to do some exploration. This one to me is about as understandable of a decommitment that you can ever expect considering those circumstances in which he committed and considering the longevity that is ahead of him in this recruitment process. I won't be surprised at all if it ultimately circles back to Penn State. I can't imagine any bridges have been burned here, but Penn State back to square one with the 2023 class. I think at one point they were maybe the second or third team in the entire country to even hold a commitment in that cycle. Yeah, he was the fourth, uh, I believe it was the fourth commitment in that cycle and the third decommitment is now the third decommitment right, right. in that cycle. So that tells you about where where we stand with the 2023 class. And and I thought about, I, I thought about trying to go back to our, uh, our episode after he committed and I'm just so apathetic to the to the commitment. I mean, it's, it's a cool story. He wants to do that and all that kind of stuff. But it was obvious to anybody that followed it, obvious to anybody that accepted his commitment that yeah, is a bit premature. So uh, we're not going to spend too much time on it. I hope he f- he finds what he needs to find. I mean, it's a it's a long time, especially he didn't play in the su- in, in uh, as a sophomore. He was one of those uh, in one of those states that didn't, did not have football. Um, so we'll see what happens for him. It gives him a chance to to get back out there and figure out and do a little bit more research. And I mean, it's just such an early commitment. So I, I don't think that it's it's a naturally a surprise to anybody that he backed off because now he'll have the opportunity over the next couple of years to go out and visit some schools and talk to some more coaches and maybe get a more complete look at what, you know, is out there. And, you know, it gives, you know, Penn State some options as well. So I, I, I don't, I feel like we've probably spent too much time on it already, but I hope he, he finds what he's looking for. I think it's, I think I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's a smart decision. I think it's the right decision. Six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds as a sophomore. Other options on the table right now include Duke, Maryland, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. And yeah, if this kid goes out and blows up on the camp circuit, that offer list is going to get even more impressive. But uh, we'll keep tabs on him. I'm sure Penn State will as well. But we wanted to address that right here, and we, we wish him well in his future explorations. And a uh, kid who. Has a lot ahead of him. Um, five-star mailbag, Sean. We'll keep it to one question this time around. And um, it's one about this offseason. And, and the offseason that has so much has happened in the four weeks since Penn State defeated Illinois in, in Happy Valley. And the question addresses a couple things here. Now that it seems like things are settling down, a couple questions about this offseason for Penn State so far. What off-season development has surprised you guys the most, and what off-season development has maybe been overlooked? And Sean, I'll, I'll handle this before I give you uh, the microphone. We saw the question. We said, well, Mike Yersich, of course, that stunned both of us. We've kind of hammered that home in recent episodes. Mike Yersich replacing Kirk Shiraka two Fridays ago, right after we recorded the podcast. Didn't expect it. With that said, what do you got, Sean? <laughs> Yeah, that's the winner by far. So we might as well not even spend time talking about it. I think what's interesting to me is, you know, they've been able to follow through um, with what they said back on signing day. Uh, you know, you, you you watch the season, you thought, okay, everybody's kind of going through the motions here, four and five, not a ton of momentum. But, you know, there was a little bit of rejuvenation. I don't know if that has anything to do with Franklin, you know, getting to see his family going down south. But, I mean, Penn State for a four and five team has a little bit more buzz than you would expect. And now a big part of that is their dedication to the transfer portal. 
yes, they go out, they say a lot of things sometimes, it doesn't always come to fruition, but I think that's probably been the most surprising thing to me is following through, being aggressive on the transfer portal, figuring out that you've got holes that you, you know, can potentially patch with with guys that have experience and, you know, it's a it's a obviously a whole new world with the immediate eligibility potential out there for these guys. Um but no, I it, saying saying it and doing it two different things and and they've done both. Yeah, to me, I, I, you know, I, it kind of blends in with the regular season because of the postponement of kickoff and all that. But signing day to me is still the an off season thing, and for them to get to the finish line with fifteen commitments on board, and, and they had that sp- that spree in the spring that was like, whoa, all these guys are, I guess, deciding to come on board. But even then, we were wondering. Are those going to stick the longer these guys can't get to campus? And that was without understanding that Penn State was going to start the season in historically bad fashion and go 0-5. And yet, no one jumped ship. And it's something that I've repeatedly asked you know, Landon and Nate and Christian when they've been on the podcast. Why did it work out? Uh, you know, it, it's, it seems to be an, an incentivized part of what this class is going to be about. There's a bit of a mission statement in place for them on, on not letting that happen again and, and making sure that this was kind of a blip on Penn State's radar than any kind of sign of, of where the program is progressing. So I think to be able to, particularly with some of those guys in Michigan and uh, some of the guys who were further away from campus, maybe didn't have uh, visits for a full calendar year, to get to December, to sign them. I know people want to focus in on some of the misses over the course of this cycle, and they've been well documented on the show. But I think keeping things intact was was a really good reflection on how the coaching staff handled uh, how things went over the course of the season with these recruiting classes. And all the while, while building up a 2022 class, I'll say the other surprise was Jahan Dotson sticking around. I really felt like the way he finished the season, 428 all-purpose yards in the last two games of 2020, uh, two 70 plus yard touchdowns. He showed some speed that I think people were wondering about that big playability, did some things on special teams as well. And you're kind of wondering what else can Jahan Dotson really go out and prove, you know, he look what he did for a, a Penn state team that was not very efficient at all offensively and, and really had a lot of struggles overall. He was the consistent bright spot going back to the season opener and all the way through the end of it. And you think, okay, well, it may be a good wide receiver class, but you had 12 wide receivers go in the top 50 last year. Um, so what, that's about 25% of the top 50 in the, in the NFL draft is a wide receiver. Um, you know, KJ Hamler was 11, and he still got second-round money. So I think Jahan Dotson could be in good shape. Instead, he comes back. You know, The longer that lasted and the wait, the, the more I was kind of anticipating that Jahan was going to stick around. But regardless, I can tell you when he walked off the field and we got him in a Zoom call – after that Illinois game, I genuinely thought that would be the last time we would be speaking with Jahan until maybe when he was getting ready for a Penn State Pro Day. Well, you think about how guys have left in the past based on not just a strong junior season or what have you, but the the end of their season, the momentum that they have. And, you know, we talked about even even a guy like Chris Godwin, who seems in in hindsight just to be a no-brainer to leave, he had that big Rose Bowl and sort of turned that into some buzz going into the offseason. So I, I, I get where you're coming from from there. I just – it doesn't seem that we – we were talking for a couple of weeks and on, on lines 24-7 that we expected Jahan to be back. So maybe some of the luster kind of wore off of that one it just kind of droned on a little bit until he eventually announced but I would flip it and say the uh, you know it's kind of different from Jaquan Brisker we talked when the season ended about how much you know he could probably use another year and then all of a sudden you get these uh you know the all big 10 come out they the, the all, pro all football focus. yeah <laughs> it seemed like pro football focus was trying to push him into the draft but you know <laughs> right. it's kind of like, it's kind of how those things work and and you thought okay 
he definitely could use another year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But you know, he sees himself as a as a first team All American, an All Big Ten guy, a guy that can you know you know move up the draft board with a good off season workout, something like that. And you're thinking, okay, all all this stuff may be pushing him out the door. So. He was a guy that seemed 50-50 for a while, and 50-50, obviously, a bit of a cop out there. Um, but it seemed like, okay, there's there's reasons that he could go. And for him to turn around, huge decision for this team, huge decision for himself, obviously. But at the same time, it was kind of like, okay, that might be a bit of a surprise, a little bit of an upset to get him back, especially on the heels of a guy like Jason Oway declaring Pat, you know, you knew, you knew Pat was gone before the season. You know, that's not saying that he didn't come out and, and do what he had to do during the season, but you, you he skipped the draft last year. You know, let's be honest here. So, um, so I think Brisker would be the most uh, uh, positive, surprising offseason development, I guess, if, if you could label it as such. And I think to this point, what you're relieved about if you're a Penn State fan and you're James Franklin, you've been able to really avoid the negative surprises that, that tend to pop up for college football programs. There's not a lot of those to point to right now. And I think that people we've seen going to the transfer portal, you understand the causation for that. And, and, you, and you, you know, there's not really a regret, I don't think, on Penn State's end in, in a lot of those situations. And, and as you said, the, the blows were softened with the NFL draft stuff, even with Jason Away not putting up a sack this year, you still felt like he was going to end up in the NFL draft one way or another. Um, this was a, a two for one in the five star mailbag, Sean. So just to refresh you on the second part of this question, uh, what all season development has maybe been overlooked to this point? You know, I, I think kind of when you were sitting there at 0-4, 0-5, you were thinking, okay, who's going to be on this roster in January based on what we've, you know, seen with the portal in the past and really the, the, the string of bad luck that Penn State – bad off seasons that Penn State has had um, in keeping their guys and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing is you haven't seen uh, – we'll, we'll throw mass exodus out there because, it's a, you know, it's been – thrown there in quotes and and really they've they've kept the things together like i said that's probably a, a string a, you know a, a tip to some of the culture in that building um at the same time it's uh it's interesting to to watch that portal and see guys go in that really don't have the options that they thought they would so i think that's probably been one of the more overlooked things is keeping this this whole thing intact while adding quality portal guys while adding um recruiting you know, momentum in the 2022 class. So just the, the positivity is, has been, you know, a, a breath of fresh air, frankly, covering this team, following this team. Um, so that may be overlooked. Uh, you know, w- will there still be guys that depart? Of course. I mean, that's really just part of the college game. And, the, you know, whether that's in the next week or so, whether that's around spring ball or after the spring semester, it's going to happen. It always does. So you, you can't be too worried about it. But, you know, you don't see a, a, a thing like, uh, you know, back when, what was it, like Zach McPherson and Brandon Paul, you know, just everybody throwing themselves in the portal at the same time. You haven't seen that. So I think that's been a positive uh, development for Penn State. When I saw the phrase overlooked, I, it brought my mind to Tariq Castro Fields. I'm not going to go too far down that path because we discussed him a, a bit when discuss, when talking about Johnny Dixon joining the cornerback room and you know, kind of him looming over things because he is a fifth-year guy. He, he is going to be a, a third-year starter potentially. But I feel like because he's been out of sight, out of mind, and because there has been quality depth at cornerback with some of the young players, you know, him being out for those final six games – in 2020, um, and then Jahan Dotson and Jaquan Brisker both announcing that they were going to be returning. You know, in that same like one week, six day time frame, whatever it was, you had three Castro Fields confirming that he was indeed going to stick around for that extra senior season. It's something that we had been anticipating here, but I feel like because of the timing of that, and because he has been again out of sight for a lot of Penn State fans and for us, quite frankly, on the football field, um, I think. 
his sticking around could be a bit of an overlooked facet of how this roster is going to develop. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, certainly, you know, when you say sticking around, I mean, it, it's kind of got this negative connotation sometimes with, uh, you know, it's just kind of passing the time and, and you know, adding depth guys and things like that. So I, I think that that's certainly something to uh, – you know, kind of flip on its head. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I just think uh, going back and, and looking at different positions and what they've added, I know it's not really overlooked because we've spent so much time on the portal, but like the running back situation as is such, I mean, you want to add anything, any production that you can do to that. So a guy like John Lovett going in there and, you know, potentially getting carry and who's to say what, well, you know, he gets four carries a game next year, 10 carries a game next year. It's hard to say, but we know how, how quickly those things can change. And then that's at all positions as you referenced. So, um, just adding guys that are, that are quality depth may not be the, uh, the holes that need patched, but at the same time, you know, those those holes might open up later in the process and all of a sudden you've got a guy that you can stick in there. Pairing up those two topics, running back and the overlooked thing, we haven't seen Noah Kane reach the end zone since the 2019 Cotton Bowl. I am tremendously curious about how he is progressing after that season-ending injury. You'd think because, because of the game one timing, you'd think he'd be in a good spot to get back on the field and, and be productive. But, I mean, I, hopes were very high for, for Mr. Kane going into his sophomore year. Yeah, and I don't expect to see him in the spring, and I don't think that'll be a surprise to anybody. But uh, yeah, you want to get him back, get him healthy, and, and and ride what you got there because all of a sudden you've got guys that have gotten experience. I, th- I think Keziah Holmes can take a step in the off season. I certainly think that him coming in last year and and you know uh, establishing himself as as a potential guy to watch upon arrival, and then all of a sudden he's off campus for four months and kind of throws a, a speed bump in front of him. So I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic to look at. Just the I think there's a bunch of guys on the roster that just were ultimately screwed by not having an offseason, not having that offseason development, especially from a physical aspect. We talked about Taquan Roberson last episode or two episodes ago. I think he's a guy like that as well. So, um, you know, those younger guys that are, you know, maybe redshirt freshmen, sophomores, guys like that, that, you know, you sit, you, you always look at after the season and say, well, the offseason is going to be big for him. You don't get that. And all of a sudden it just chips away at your depth and you, you get what we saw on the field in the fall. Well, that development now underway in Happy Valley. Everybody's back on campus. The new guys are here. The coaching staff is back. You'd like to think everybody had an opportunity to exhale a bit after this season, recharge the batteries, spend some quality time with their family and friends after not doing so for a while. And now it's time to put in the work and see what the NCAA and the Big Ten are going to permit in terms of an offseason schedule and and getting on the field once again as soon as March. So uh, that's it for today's episode. Thank you again to Landon Tangwall for joining us. On behalf of Sean Fitz, we encourage you to head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, uh, rate and review, of course, when you put your five-star mailbag question in for the podcast. We'll get to that as soon as we can. And, of course, stay updated along the way at lions247.com. We'll catch up with you next week. In the meantime, wishing you all a great weekend ahead. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 